You're listening to episode 18. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it, and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really, I am the number one student. So get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals Podcast, where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. Davis Montavo here, your host. I am super excited to bring you today's feature guest, Mr. Brett Miller. Brett, are you ready to share your entrepreneurial story? Absolutely, Davis. Um, happy to be here. Fantastic. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Brett is the CEO and founder of BrickBook, which is the creator of what Wired Magazine described as a case that is a pop-on plate that lets you jazz up the back of your MacBook with Lego creations. Um, it has received raving reviews and has been featured in prestigious uh, media outlets like Oprah, Vanity Fair, and Wired. So I am super pumped to dig more into your story, Brett. So um, welcome to the show. But before we, we get cracking on this, um, maybe just take 30 seconds to tell us um, who is Brett outside of business. Sure. Yeah. Um, so first of all, I want to just kind of give a brief disclaimer on the background noise. I'm actually at the warehouse in Southern California right now, and we've got a lot of uh, a lot of background noise going with the new packaging machines and stuff. Just trying to ramp up for the holidays. So if you hear that, that's what that is. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I've been uh, I've been an entrepreneur since I was a little kid. Um, I remember my friends' parents sometimes would send them over and say like. Uh, you can't give Brett money this trip. <laughs> so always trying to start a business, always trying to find an, an angle to monetize things. And uh, I moved out to California about five or six years ago and got into software. We had a few tech startups. Um, two of them we sold and then got into hardware and started developing essentially what are, what are toys now. And it's kind of spun off into a toy company. Uh, which is which is really satisfying. I mean, there's a big difference between software and hardware, and there's been a lot of painful learnings there. But overall, having a tangible product that people actually hold and you get people sending you photos that they see them out in the wild and stuff is pretty neat. That's amazing. And uh, you've got a pretty neat uh, product, a, a fantastic website. I was just there and watching some of the product reviews as we were talking pre-show. So uh, that's that's amazing. Congratulations on that. I uh, just want to touch on that. Um, how long would you say you've been in business full-time for yourself? So I left my, my job. I was running marketing for a startup um, in the Bay Area, and I left March. So it's been about eight months, I think, seven or eight months. Okay, that's amazing. Um, and prior to that, we had been shipping product for for just a few months, and then and then it just got to the point where um, it needed a atten- full time attention, and so that was sort of the catalyst for leaving. Mm, and congratulations on that. Um, what would you say are the core revenue streams for your business now? 
Um, right now, it's it's BrickBook still, and that's the that's the MacBook case. That's still the core revenue. Um, very very quickly though, the Brick revenue is growing. That's maybe twenty thirty percent. Um, and just to kind of give a little bit of background on that, we developed a tool called Brick Build. So let's say you go out and you get a BrickBook, you snap it on the back of your MacBook, and now you want to find cool designs to be able to build on the back of it. Um, well, very, very quickly, we had people saying, you should have an online tool where I can use it similar to Microsoft Paint and just click on a brick color on a canvas of pixels and then um, calculate how many bricks it's going to take to create that, and then you can add them right to your cart and ship them to you. So we created Brick Build. Right now, I think there are around 3,000 different designs um, that people have come up with for the back of the, of the MacBook. And so that's, that's about 20, 30% of our revenue now, and we see that continuing to grow as far as a percentage basis. Okay, great. Well, Brett, thanks for, thanks for walking us through that. Um, I wanted to know, how did the journey as an entrepreneurial, as an entrepreneur start for you? I know you've, you've touched on the fact that when you were much younger, um, that was part of, you know, what you were doing, but when it actually came down to it, when you had to leave your, your most recent corporate role, you know, obviously you on a decent, decent salary. How did you transition and, and what was your thought process? Um, yeah, so one of the things that I've been pretty bad at, honestly, in the past was, was focus. And I know this is a problem for a lot of entrepreneurs that you have a thousand amazing ideas and you're always trying to do everything. <laughs> and, and it's actually really, really dangerous because what I found that um, a good business requires is just laser-like focus. And if you get it up to the point where it does become self-sufficient and really self-sufficient, you find you know good management um, or good employees to, to run it, and then you can kind of focus on something else, that's fine. But you kind of need to just get into the weeds and really push hard for a few years in my experience, before you can get something to take off. And, and my friends that are entrepreneurs um, have all kind of experienced this too. It looks like overnight success, but really it was three or four years of 14-hour days to get to that point. It was in March of last year. Uh, we had just started shipping in November, late November, and then we had the holidays. And what we were doing was uh, we had the Vanity Fair article that, that came out, and that was in the January issue of 2015. And from there, we just started to see more and more traffic coming. And my business partner, David, he works at Facebook. He's an engineering manager there. And, and we started to get calls. We were getting purchase orders from larger companies. There was no one there to fill it. There was no one there to do customer service until 5 o'clock at night. And when you're on the you know Pacific Coast, you can't everyone's closed by the time you get off work. So the eight to five thing just falls apart after a while. Um, and, and what was happening was not only was brick as the business getting neglected and we were missing opportunities um, and the customer service was suffering, but the full-time job I had that, you know, deserved someone in that role that could put 110%. And my heart at that point had definitely transferred to, to brick. Mm. Very interesting. And how did you navigate the, the income side of things? For, for yourself, personally. Yeah, so luckily we started on Kickstarter in 2015. Um, we launched in March. We were trying to raise about $30,000. We ended up raising about 93000 And by the time I left, 
the company was um, was cash flow positive, which is great for a company that's been going for four months. Um, obviously, um, I was I had a, a great six figure salary at that point, and I was I was going from that to you know maybe a thousand bucks a month or something like that. <laughs> so the lifestyle changed, but even when I was making when I was making good money at that time, I was very, very conservative. You know, my car had been paid off for several years. I didn't live in an expensive place. I Airbnb'd my place when I wasn't there and just really, really tried to save money because at some point when you know you're going to make that leap, if you've already adjusted to that lifestyle, it makes the transition so much easier. That, that, that is incredible wisdom, man, and uh, thanks for sharing that. Now, I want to dig a little bit more into, into the, the actual business um, and the, the idea behind it. So just, just help us, uh, for those of, um, who haven't yet visited your website, which is um, brick.co, B-R-I-K.co, um, just walk us through what is the idea um, in, and, and how did that come about? Sure. Um, so the very first product we launched, which was BrickBook, um, that the idea for that actually came about a year and a half to two years ago, and uh, my roommate and his friend had just gotten done building like a brick design. And I remember walking past them, and they were working on their Macs at this point. And it's like that design's really cool, but no one's gonna see it. Wouldn't it be cool if you could put that on the back of your MacBook? And so when you go to the coffee shop, when you go into the office, you open up this MacBook, and it essentially turns into a gray canvas with an apple on the back of it. But if you could change that canvas, if you could draw people's attention to it, change it based on your mood, change it based on the season, the holidays, uh, that could be really interesting. So we built a prototype just using a giant kind of base plate and a laser cutter, and I took it home for the holidays, and uh, airport security, everyone was just raving about, you know, where'd you get that? That's the coolest case we've ever seen, and I'd go into coffee shops, and people would come up and talk to me, and I've never owned an item before that got, I got so much positive feedback about. It, it was like the perfect icebreaker. You walk into a room, and that's going to be the topic of conversation. It was crazy. So... When I, got, when I got back, we decided we needed to put it on Kickstarter because there's you know, a lot of people on this planet. So the odds are, if there's something you like, there'll be enough people that like it too. Um, and after that, it just kind of took off. So we've been continuing to push it. Uh, we get a lot of great press, which helps. But that was the first product was Brick Book. And and then I can kind of dive into to brick tile and how that transition happened, if, if you'd like to hear that as well. Okay, so very early on, we realized um, that brick book was great, but people were going to want a larger canvas. They wanted, they wanted to be able to do their refrigerator. They wanted to be able to do walls. So we started developing a prototype for a product called brick tile, and we we had a few um, few rules. First of all, everything had to be compatible with the previous product we had. So it ends up becoming almost like a hardware platform play, where if you bought if you brought bricks for BrickBook, they were going to work on Brick Tile. They were going to be compatible with all the other major bricks out there, and we wanted the same quality, the same colors, um, similar packaging, just to kind of build on that brand. So after a while, we finally found a system that we could patent for being able to put these on the wall and having them stick and hold several pounds of, of weight because you can build 
it's not just pixel art, right? You can build little shelves, you can build cable organizers, you can build all of these really cool interactive things that you can change your wall with. Um, and so we wanted all that stuff to be, to be compatible, and we found a way to be able to put it on the wall, hold several pounds of weight, and then when you were done with it, or if you wanted to move it to a different wall, you simply peel it off and stick it somewhere else, too. And that was, that was sort of the breakthrough. So when we figured that out and we finally had the patents into place, we put that on Kickstarter as well. Interesting. Um, so why Kickstarter? And, um, you know, someone who's hearing about Kickstarter for the first time, just give us in a, in a high-level sense um, why that works for you and what is that platform? Okay, sure. Um, Kickstarter is a crowdfunding platform. So if you have an idea for a project, uh, particularly hardware works really good. Sometimes people will use it for um, large charity projects. And you built, you put together a video, a nice little web page on Kickstarter's website, and you launch this idea to the world. And then you get pledges. So let's say um, Brick Tile, for example, we knew it was going to cost us about $30,000 in order to get all the molds made and get all the initial supplies ordered to be able to bring this product to market. So we said, if we raise $30,000 and you pledge, um, I think they started around 20 bucks, then you will get X. And if you pledge two times that, you'll get twice the product. And then is, is the more you pledge, the less expensive it gets per tile. So we ended up raising around $182,000 um, in pledges. So we ended up doing about six times what our initial goal was. And Kickstarter, some of the reasons you want to do um, crowdfunding or Kickstarter, yeah, first, it takes a lot of the risk out of it. So instead of you know, going and getting a loan or diving into your savings and going and building this product and then trying to sell it, go out there and sell it, you've taken pre-orders. So the customers have pre-ordered the product and that's what's bootstrapped it. That's where your start is. Um, the second reason you want to do it is it validates your idea. So before you get into all that again, you know that there's a lot of people out there that want it, that think it's a great idea. And then I think... Third, and the most important, um, is Kickstarter, if you have a good idea and you're getting some traction, they actually send a lot of traffic your way. So with both Brick Book and Brick Tile, over 30% of the pledges we received came from Kickstarter itself. When people would be browsing on Kickstarter, they would send that traffic to our pages. And that was really, really helpful. All right. Question for you then, Brett. When do you collect money from the pledges? So you set the timeline, um, and let's say most common, I think, is 30 days. Um, most people do between 30 and 60 days. I think 60 might be the max. And so at the end of that term, two weeks, it takes about two weeks for them to process the credit cards, get all that money collected, and then transfer it to your account. But the good news is if you're trying to raise $30,000, once you cross that point, let's say you do it within the first week, you can go ahead and get started working because you know that money's locked in and it's, it's going to come. You might not get the money for another you know, four weeks or five weeks after that, but at least you can start you know, putting the project together, ordering the parts, and, and take, take that money and you don't have to worry about the risk. And how long do you have before you, you produce the, the promised product and deliver on it? That's up to the, that's up to the product creator. I've seen projects that raise money 
over a year out. I've seen products that, you know, want to launch within a few months after collecting that. And for BrickBook, we were about two or three months behind schedule. And so getting it out right before Christmas was a very stressful time of life, but also very exciting. And so for Brick, uh, Brick Tile, we, we already had our manufacturer. We already had the contacts. We already had the shipping and the process and set up. But we had this new adhesive element, which has actually delayed us about a week and a half. Uh, but we're going to be very close to, to on schedule and we finished the campaign, I believe it was beginning of August, and we're going to be shipping it the first week of November, so a couple months after. So we're doing this interview right in the middle of that. That's, that's amazing. Um, Brett, how do, you, how do you find a manufacturer? And if I'm looking for a manufacturer today um, in hardware or some other um, arena of producing um, goods and services or goods predominantly, what, how do I find a manufacturer? What do you recommend? I would recommend reaching out, doing some research, find someone that's got a product that you think is similar enough, and, and ask them. Yeah. Kickstarter's got a great community. That's another, another thing about it. Um, everyone's involved in the process. You give project updates. So we've done several updates. I've, I've given a tour of the factory in China. I've given a tour of the warehouse to all of our backers so the people who put money into it can watch it unfold, which is really, really cool. It, it's really great about building a relationship with the customer for life as opposed to them just placing an order and not having any idea what's happening behind the scenes. So if you're looking for a manufacturer, I would recommend maybe starting on Kickstarter and reaching out to a few and saying, who do you use, um, doing some Googling. Try to find a recommendation of a friend or of a friend, maybe even on LinkedIn, because it, it's a scary process at first. Um, especially if you know doing manufacturing in China and you don't have a lot of experience, you don't speak Chinese. Um, and one of the mistakes that we made with BrickBook is we, we both had full-time jobs, so we couldn't go to China and meet with the team and explain to them in person how the product is supposed to operate and function. Um, and we did that with Tile, and it made a world of difference. Just night and day. Huge difference. So absolutely recommend going over there and meeting with your with your manufacturer. Right. Okay, I want to ask you about the growth and marketing strategy. At the start, obviously, you used Kickstarter that brought in, you know, I don't know, 100 grand. Um, but how do you grow from there on? Yeah, so we've got, um, we've got a, several different marketing funnels we use. Um, email marketing is really, really powerful. That's mostly for existing customers. Um, we do... Uh, Facebook advertising and Facebook retargeting. We do a lot with with social media, and we're just starting to to work more with distributors and retailers. Um, and that the cool thing about that is more people out there seeing the product brings them to the internet to look for it, which means an increase in sales. So even though you're working with more retailers and distributors that tends to have a positive impact on your direct sale business as well. We also sell on Amazon. We um, are listed in Amazon in the U.S. and in the U.K., and we, we sent their fulfillment by Amazon. It's called their FBA facilities. So when you see a product that has it's prime eligible, that you, know, you can get to your house in two days in the U.S., that's, that's how that works. And that's a really nice process because once we ship them to Amazon – Amazon handles the rest. Uh, 
um, we don't have to worry about fulfilling those orders. So it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Are you getting a lot of love from Australia, man? Yeah, Australia is... <laughs> It's crazy. Australia is actually, um, I think, our fourth largest country as far as sales go. And right now, we do ship there. We ship via DHL. And that was the mistake originally we made. We shipped a lot through United States Postal Service, like the cheapest one we could find. And we had packages getting called up in customs and lost. But since we switched to DHL, most packages arrive anywhere in the world between like three and five days. It's crazy how they do that. <laughs> Um, and we're going to be setting up probably some international shipping abroad, too, so we can fulfill not just from the United States, especially for Australia, because those shipping costs do get a little a little high. Oh, that's great. Um, I want to touch on the press. So you've received amazing press, um, amazing reviews by product reviewers on social media. Did you do anything deliberate in getting, getting that? Uh, yeah, originally... When we first launched our Kickstarter campaign, we'd done a few thousand dollars just friends and family and kind of pushing it out to as many people as we could. And then I started researching tech blogs, Wired, Gizmodo, Engadget, Cult of Mac, finding journalists that wrote about similar topics. Maybe it was accessories for Apple products or maybe they wrote about other brick products and then Googling to find their email addresses and sending them just a quick intro and saying, you know, hey, this launch is on Kickstarter, it looks right up your alley, et cetera, et cetera. Very short to the point. And I think I sent around 10 of those emails and four or five journalists ended up writing stories about it. So it was really, really effective for us early on. Um, and what happened? How did you get with the, in, in with the Oprah crowd? So the cool thing about when, you, when you're able to land like Gizmodo or Wired, a lot of other people see it. So one of those original articles ended up, you know, trailing off to about a thousand, or I'm sorry, a hundred different articles around the world, most of them in languages that I couldn't read, so I hope they were <laughs> positive. <laughs> and then Vanity Fair saw one of those, and they reached out to us, and then I'm guessing Oprah saw one of those, or Vanity Fair, and they reached out to us. Um, and since then, we've actually had uh, two or three other magazines. Um, we were in GQ last month in, in the UK, and we have some other really big press that's going to be happening. Um, and it becomes kind of a snowball effect, but, uh, but really what we're focusing on next year is trying to find influencers that, that have a very similar brand and a very similar audience and start working with them because we've had a lot of success doing that in company. Well, that's cool. Um, I want to ask you about the business right now, and you know, feel free to share what you can. But um, can you can you share you know where the business is at now, some numbers, or um, you know where you're heading to? Sure. Uh, so last year we don't we don't typically disclose revenue just because we're a private company and it's just a policy that we have. But but we're about four times. I think we're going to close this year at about four or five times what we did last year. And we are already on pace in three orders of next year to outpace this year. So we're growing about three to 400% every year so far. Huge. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. It's, it's, you know, it's funny because right now, for example, brick book sales are at an all-time high, 
And we launched that product just less than a year ago, and sometimes it just takes a while for the market to react. Even when you get a lot of press, what typically happens is you get a huge spike and then a pretty big dip and then a plateau that's a little higher than it was before. But but sometimes it's not even about just getting massive amounts of press. It's just finding and taking time for the product to to go around and for word of mouth to take off and for more people to have it in their hands and then you just start to see this natural growth. And that's what excites me because, like I said, the press stuff um, is great, but it, but it goes away. And if you can find a way to sustain growth without press, then you're really cooking. <laughs> mm. And how do you do that? Um, time, trial and error mostly. Um, we're, we're still, there's still a lot of stuff that we need to figure out that I don't think that we're, that we're as strong as we could be. Um, some stuff with AdWords and some online advertising. We're making a lot of progress, but, uh, I mean, from, I have, you know, friends that are in that industry and they say a lot of times it'll take 50 to 100 different A-B tests on ads before you find one that works. So, most of the time, it's just grit and working your butt off until you finally find something. And then when you do find something that shows like a positive return on your investment, especially in advertising, then you put the you know you put the gas down, the gas pedal down, and, and pour a bunch of budget into it. I want to pivot a little bit and talk about fear of failure. You know, I listen to a lot of entrepreneurial shows and lots of books, and it's it's a big thing. You know, a lot of us are comfortable in our in our jobs or in in whatever thing we're doing. Um, and I'm sure you've experienced that and you've actually experienced failure. Can you share, you know, maybe what should we consider uh, a crazy moment of failure in, in your most recent past since you guys launched um, this new business in, in BrickBook? <laughs> yeah, I have, uh, I have plenty of those for you. Mm, right. Uh, <laughs> so the first one was on our, uh, on our BrickBook launch. One of our early customers that actually supported our Kickstarter campaign was, was Amazon for their AWS conference in Las Vegas which was in October. Um, and so our big push to get the working prototypes out was to make sure that we could fulfill that order and so they could get them out of the conference, which would also be great press for us. So we got our first shipment in. It's a very small shipment because we hadn't had time to do a lot of prototyping. And we took them out of the box. We were all excited. But then they, they fit on the MacBook. They didn't fit very well. And then we went to put the bricks on the back of them, and they just fell off, just completely fell off. They didn't stick at all. The studs were too small. So you go from this crazy, I mean, entrepreneurship's a roller coaster, right? Emotional highs and lows. So you go from this crazy high, like, ah, we finally got our first models in, and you open the box and tear it open like Christmas morning and snap it on, and then all of a sudden you just want to take a nap or have a big glass of scotch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of my friends described it as a, Party hats and razor blades, which which I feel is pretty fitting. But but anyway, the way we we got around that is we ended up going to Walmart and just getting a huge tub of glue and and spent the next four days because we only had four days before the conference. There was no time to get any more. We spent the next four days just gluing bricks onto the back of these of these MacBooks um, with the logos and everything that they wanted. And then on the inside of it, we just said. You know, here's a, here's a prototype. It has the logo. It'll still fit on your Mac. And here's a promo code. So when the real ones are done, you can exchange it for one that actually works. Um, so they were very happy with that. It ended up working out really, really well. But uh, but that was 
that was not a great first start for us. Yeah. I mean, it cost money, a bit of reputation, and just emotionally draining, right? Yeah, it's it's the draining factor. Um, and we had gone past our budget, so that, that would be advice for Kickstarter if you... If you're planning on raising money that way, double what you think it's going to cost and double the amount of time it's going to take you to do it. Because although we raised, we tried to raise 30, we raised 90, and we spent 120. So we had to spend about 30 grand in our own sort of savings just to get the initial orders out. Um, and, that, you know, we've made all that back and stuff. But but it's it's something that I wish we would have, you know, thought a little bit more about how much it's going to cost to ship. Um, this is another one. I don't want to get too much on a tangent here, but this is another one for Kickstarter. Uh, going through this twice, and I've seen this happen with several projects, uh, the money gets dumped into your account. And typically, you know, on a successful campaign, it's a, it's a lot of money. You spend it for the, the tooling. You spend it for the packaging. You do all that stuff, and then you're like, oh, we still have some money left. And then you get ready to ship it, and you're just like, oh, you know, the shipping is typically, I mean, about half of our orders in both cases were international. International shipping is expensive. You're talking tens and tens of thousands of dollars to get them out. So the second project, we didn't make that mistake. And we had accounted for it in the first one, but you just underestimate how much it's going to cost. And that money doesn't go out until the very end. So it looks like you have a lot in your account, but really all that money in your account you've spent plus some. Mm. That's great, great. Thanks for sharing that. Um, what would you say was the biggest breakthrough moment in um, in your business? Getting BrickBook out before Christmas, that was great. I remember going to the warehouse. We had ordered them all. We had no more time for prototypes. We were going to miss Vanity Fair and the holidays um, if we didn't just place the order. So we had thousands of BrickBooks sitting in the warehouse in Southern California, and we got there. We had not got a working prototype at this point. All we had was the stuff that we had shipped to Amazon, which didn't work. <laughs> so I remember opening the box and pulling one out. It was this bright blue brick book, and it was just, like, beautiful. And and David left because he's like, I can't I can't stay here for this. He was freaked out. So, yeah, exactly. It, these This either fit and the brick stuck or we were done. Because it wasn't sure what's going to happen, right? That was it. Um, very <laughs> high pressure point. And so... I took a handful of yellow bricks and I started sticking them on and everything fit perfectly. So we, we got a little bit lucky there. Um, and we, another thing we hadn't done yet is we didn't ship bricks and MacBooks to China so they could do as much testing as possible there. Even with that, there's still sometimes a little bit that's lost in translation as far as what the expectations are for fit. And growing up, we've seen, um, for lack of a better term, like Lego knockoff products before that just sucked, right? <laughs> There's a lot of them out there that just sucked, that they, they, the clutch power is not great. And so overcoming the hurdle of expectations for that being bad is like a really, really important part of us. So we didn't just want to make sure that they fit okay. We wanted to make sure that they fit perfectly with all the major bricks that were out there and the bricks that we sell ourselves. So there's a lot of pressure there. But it all worked out really, really well, and 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 that was a pivotal point to business. And just, just on that point that you, you raised, um, how, how have you navigated around you know, um, relying on other people's bricks uh, that are out there in the market, and what's your philosophy around making sure that they, they, you know, your, your hardware fits into what, what's already in the market? 
Um, so the the major players out there, I would say, are um, Lego, Mega Blocks, and Creo, and they're all compatible with each other. And the way that works, um, Lego's main sort of interlocking brick patent expired in the late 80s, which is why you saw all those other guys start to enter that market. And our, our philosophy is pretty simple. Like, we could have made a proprietary brick system where we have our own sizes that maybe are a little bit smaller or a little bit larger. But the problem with that is if you're gonna if you're gonna create a product, why not why not create value where people already have if they already have stuff at home, let them use it. You know, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna create some new type of paper, you're not gonna say, well, this isn't compatible with any pins or markers or crayons that are out there in the market today. You have to buy our proprietary ones because it's going to make it a lot harder for you to enter the market if you do that. So, so that was that was mainly it. Is, is have good fit. Um, we're more than happy to supply the bricks because the ones we sell are the flat one by ones, which typically are a little bit difficult to get. But the great thing about putting those on a brick book is if you slide your brick book in and out of your bag, they're not going to knock off. They're thin, they're light, you can do designs, and they'll stay on there. Um, but, but for anything else, I mean, yeah, grab a handful of bricks out of that box of bricks you already have at home and, and go to town. <laughs> hey, I, I want to shift now into the last sort of segment of, of the show, and um, a couple of quick questions for you, just to get to know you a little bit better. How do you rank the following? Faith, fun, family, finances, friendships? I think family, faith, and friendships are at the top of that. Yeah, those are at the top. Fun for me is is next. I'm all about fun. I love turning any situation into one that um, that's fun. In fact, our our tagline for Brick is inspire play because we want to build products that inspire people to play and to have fun and be creative and think. Um, and then what I found with the with the finance side, I mean, absolutely it's important. But that if, if you're doing the other things right, if you have a great support system. If you're building products that you love and that other people love, then that part will take care of it. Mm, that's great. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> give us a 30-second look into a day in your life when you started your business um, versus a day in your life today. So, well, when I first started, I, I had a full-time job. So it, it consisted of waking up super early and waking up super early and um, and then going in to, to the office, checking the email, returning email, all that stuff, and then about 5, 6 o'clock at night going back, um, getting the rest of the support taken care of, and then working on whether it was trying to get the product out or trying to launch a new marketing campaign, working on advertising, just scattered all over the place. Um, and it also made it really difficult because I couldn't set my schedule. If I wanted to go for a run, let's say, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon because everyone's at work and the streets are open and it's nice outside, I couldn't do that, right? It was difficult to balance your life and schedule things the way you want to do them. Now, it's fantastic. I work harder than I ever have in my entire life. I mean, we still work 14-hour days, um, 10 to 14-hour days most days, but... When I wake up in the morning, I go through and I process all the orders from the night before that haven't already gone out. I, you know, talk to either China or the Philippines um, or India, whoever, you know, whoever has questions on our support teams there. And 
if I want to go visit my family for Thanksgiving and I want to spend a week, I just do it. Um, I can work from anywhere that I have an internet connection. And that changes a lot of things. You don't miss birthday parties. You don't miss weddings. You don't miss um, important moments in life because you now have control over your schedule. And although you work really hard, what you're doing is your baby and you love it. So it doesn't really feel like work. I have bad days, of course, just like you know anyone else, but they're a lot less frequent because you feel so satisfied when you go to bed at night um, knowing the work that you put in is going to directly affect your life and your bottom line, too. Uh, that's great. Um, but do you invest in mentors? Um, if yes, why? And who are those for you today? So I think I've had a mentor every, almost every age of my life, right? My, my parents have always been great mentors. Um, my, my mom's the type that finds excitement in things, and she's kind of that inspired play part, and my dad's always been an entrepreneur, so I've always been able to, you know, ask him advice, uh, for advice. And then in high school, the guy who ran the tech department in our high school, he was a great mentor to me. And then in college, the guy who ran security for our building was also a day trader, so I learned a lot from him. And then every CEO that I've worked for, since then has been a great mentor. Um, and the cool thing is you're, when you're genuinely interested in what they do, most people, especially entrepreneurs, love to talk about and teach, right, because they don't want you to have to make the same mistakes that they've learned. And it's kind of what, you know, interviews like this are all about, right, It's just sharing that knowledge and making other people's lives easier because cause it's hard. <laughs> it's hard, and no matter how much you prepare – you're going to have really bad days. You're going to make mistakes. So if you can mitigate that as much as possible, I think that uh, you should absolutely do so. Absolutely. Um, what are the greatest two books that you can share that you've read that would be great for entrepreneurs? Um, not to be too cliche here, but um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I think they've got an eighth, eighth habit now, Stephen Covey. That's a, that's a really good one. It's not just great for entrepreneurship. It's great for life. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there about perspective and paradigm shifts and looking at things from other people's point of view that I think is really, really important for just personal development. And... Man, recently I try to read um, one book a month, and if I can't do you know the actual reading, I have an Audible account, and that's that's great. So when you're driving, when you're at the gym, when you're out for a run, you can still absorb and constantly be learning. Um, there was one book that I really really enjoyed called Becoming Steve Jobs. There's the Steve Jobs, the Walter Isaacson one, which is which is pretty good. That was okay, but Becoming Steve Jobs was was awesome because it was a lot less about like personal hygiene habits, for example, and more about him building the business and the passion behind Apple and Pixar. And I'm going to cheat now that I say that and add one more book to it. Um, Creativity Inc., which was about founding Pixar, was also a phenomenal book. So if you're kind of like the playful entrepreneur, if you're into, if you're into Walt Disney, if you're into Steve Jobs, both of those books are a must-read, in my opinion. Awesome. Um, hey, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Um, sure. If you wanna if you wanna shoot me an email, my uh, just the best way to get to me is support at brick.co. That's b r i k dot co. 
and happy to you know answer any questions I can. And if uh, it's it's the busy time of year, so if it takes me a couple days to get back to you, I, I apologize for that. But I'll certainly read and respond to every email I can. Well, that's huge, man. I appreciate you providing that contact information on the show. Um, before I ask my last question, I really just want to, you know, thank you for actually being on the show, um, being able to pour out your, you know, your heart and your words of wisdom and, and the things that you have learned, the knockabouts that you've had so that other people don't have to go through those um, experiences. I know you're flat out busy and you can hear it in the background there, so, so totally appreciate your time there. Um, 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 for the last question now, um, when all is said and done, Brett, what legacy do you want to leave and be remembered for and tell us why? I want to continue to build products that inspire play. Um, I want to finish this company, whether, you know, we end up selling it, growing it to a huge company, you know, whatever happens, I want it to bring a smile to people's face. And there's this, I remember there was this quote that um, Steve Jobs had, and I'm paraphrasing completely here, but he was talking about when people turn 30, how they start to lose that creative that creative edge. Um, a lot of artists, they stop taking chances. They get stuck in a rut of what they're used to doing. And I just turned 30 last year. Um, and so I want to build products that inspire people to get out of those ruts, to look at things in a different way, to um, get creative, to take chances, to build things. And if we can continue to do that as a company, then I will die with a big smile <laughs> on my face. Fantastic. Well, Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging out with me and Brett today. Um, I hope you had as much fun as I did. But more importantly, my hope is that you can get your hopes up, that you too can chase your dreams and that you are good enough to do that. Um, remember to head on over to businessjournals.com for all the show notes um, where we'll have everything that we've talked about in this show um, all reflected there. Just type in Brett and uh, you'll see all that information pop up. That's businessjournals.com. And uh, to connect with Brett, uh, just email support at brick.co, B-R-I-K.co. And uh, check out brick.co, the, the main website, and, uh, and send them some more love from wherever you are in the world. Uh, Brett, thank you so much for being on the Business Generals podcast today and for sharing your story with us. Absolutely grateful for your time. You are a true business general. <laughs> Thanks, Davis. I've, I've had such a good time chatting with you today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Hey, what's up, Business Journals family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Journals podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. And you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.